Hello, lovely listeners, and welcome back to the Skylight Books podcast. I'm your host, Natalie, and today we are so excited to welcome Akweke Amezi to talk about their new YA novel, Bitter. Akweke Amezi is the author of Pet, a finalist for the National Book Award for Young People's Literature, a Walter Honor Book, and a Stonewall Honor Book, the New York Times bestseller, The Death of Vivek Oji, which was a finalist for the Dylan Thomas Prize, the Los Angeles Times Book Prize, and the Penn Jean Stein Award. Freshwater, which was named a New York Times notable book and shortlisted for the Penn Hemingway Award, the New York Public Library Young Lions Fiction Award, the Lambda Literary Award, and the Center for Fiction's First Novel Prize, and most recently, Dear Theron, a Black Spirit Memoir. Their debut poetry collection, Content Warning Everything, is forthcoming in 2022. Selected as a five under 35 honoree by the National Book Foundation, they are based in liminal spaces. Thank you so much for being here, Akweke. I'm so excited to have you here. Thank you for having me. In this space with us, still liminal, virtual, somewhere. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Did you want to start us off by reading a little something from Bitter? For sure. We'll start from the beginning. Always a good place to start. (laughs) Chapter one. Bitter had no interest in the revolution. She was 17 and she thought it was ridiculous that adults wanted young people to be the ones saving the world, as if her generation was the one that had broken everything in the first place. It wasn't her business. She was supposed to have had a childhood, a whole world waiting for her when she grew up. But instead, kids her age were the ones on the front lines, the ones turned into martyrs and symbols that the adults praised publicly but never listened to because their greed was always louder and it was easier to perform solidarity than to actually do the things needed for change. It didn't matter. None of it fucking mattered. Bitter sat in her room and ignored the shouts from outside her window, the stomping of feet, the rhythmic chants, thousands of throats swelling to the same song. Lucille was a brutal city to live in. There had been mass shootings at the public schools, at the movie theaters, at the shopping centers. Everyone knew someone else who had died from something they didn't have to die from. Too many people had seen others die, even if it was in frantic live streams and videos, witnesses risking their lives and their freedoms to record the cops and their gleeful atrocities. Too many mothers had buried their children under a lethally indifferent administration. All of Bitter's friends were sick of it, and rightfully so. The world was supposed to have gotten better, not become even more violent, rank with more death. It was no wonder the people took to the streets, masses swallowing the roads and sidewalks, because in a world that wanted you dead, you had to scream and fight for your aliveness. Oh, I love this book so much. (laughs) I love Lucille. Oh my goodness. Okay. So I, I love that you started at the beginning because we can kind of start there with who, uh, this book is about. So it's a, um, it exists within the same world as pet, the book that came before it. Um, so did you always know when you wrote pet that you wanted to write about bitter, uh, pet's mother? 
Yes. Uh, well, Jam's mother. But Jam's mother, I yes. Better did <laughs> make pets. Pet's, pets creator. Pet's creator. Pet's creator. Yeah. Um, yeah, you know, when I wrote Pets, it was meant to be the first book in a trilogy. So I was like, all right, I'm writing YA. I'm going to write a YA trilogy. You know, the kind that, you know, it's very convenient to adapt into a movie because <laughs> there's three of them and then you get three movies. <laughs> and I was like, this seems to be a useful formula. Let's do that. Yeah. Um, and as I was writing Pets, there were just all these hints at the world that came before. Um, I think one of my favorite ones is the scene where Pet reveals itself to Jam's parents and Jam is terrified because she thinks that, you know, they're going to be so confused and furious mm -hmm. and instead they are exasperated. <laughs> they're like, oh like, no, how not did, again. How did they get back here? Yeah. <laughs> and Jam's like, what do you mean not again? And it's just kind of, there are all these breadcrumbs in pets mm -hmm. that connect back to something that happened before and I knew that I wanted to follow those breadcrumbs and really focus on Bitta who is after all the one who creates pets you know in in the book pets we focus a lot on jam because jam woke up pets and because they have this bond this relationship but jam didn't create pets and, and we see Bitter as an adult be kind of shut down to the whole idea of pet, but we never got to see what made her that way. We never got to see what made Aloe so determined to never like consider the possibility of monsters again. And, and it's clear that both of Jam's parents are dealing with some trauma around the revolution and they just flatly refused to talk about it um, and so I wanted to dive right into the middle of it with with this book well and it's it's my favorite kind of book in the sense that it tells a story that everyone is familiar with and knows and has heard a million times but drops it into this world that may feel more accessible, or even though it's a imaginary world, a world that's more accessible because you don't have to face it head on almost. Um, and so I wanted to just get a little bit of insight about Asada and Eucalyptus and the places that you built out from the original idea of Lucille and how we got to a group of revolutionaries and radicals, young revolutionaries and radicals that we're seeing today too. And we've always seen, they've always been here, but giving them a, a voice in this book, um, as well as with Eucalyptus, giving kids who make art uh, a place where people are looking for them specifically, um, not just encouraging them, but saying, this is what you are meant to do and I'm going to give you a space to do it. Yeah, recruitment, essentially. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, like you said, a lot of the, most of the revolutionaries that we know even in history are much younger than people mm -hmm. actually realize. And the entire world of Lucille, both in Pets and in Bitter, 
was really um, inspired by like black community organizers working like right now. Um, because for me, I think these were the people, these organizers were the people who really gave me like a vision of a better world and the fact that it was even possible. And, you know, when you're talking about like radical black organizers, people often think they're pessimistic. And, and this has been pointed out before by other people, but they're really the most hopeful out of all mm -hmm. of us because you can't, you know, suggest dismantling everything, you know, prison abolition, all of this without a hope that we can do better. And, mm -hmm. and what people like to, I think, distract, used to distract from that is this idea that by pointing out the failings of the current systems that are killing so many of us, that these people are you know, pessimistic and negative and can never see the good in anything. And it's like, there is no good to be seen in capitalism. There is no good to be seen in the prison industrial complex. Like these are things that need to be removed. There is hope in believing that we can do something else. Um, and when I started, so Pet was obviously the first book I wrote in YA and, and I wanted to write something with possibility. And the work of these community organizers was really what led me to that. Um, there, especially with Bitter, where I was like, okay, well, what does, what does Asata look like? You know, uh, a community of radical black organizers um, with elders, with children, with a safe house that's, you know, magically protected because if not, it would have been bombed a long time ago. Mm. And, and I wanted to inject that possibility into the currentness of what's happening. Um, because, and this might be surprising being as I write these books, but I have far less hope than the organizers do. Um, and I think it shows even in writing the books where I was like in, my even in my imagination my imagination is limited because in my imagination this could only happen with magic and otherworldly beings um and this is why i have so much respect for radical organizers because they're imagining it without all of that you know they're imagining it without pets and they're imagining it without magical wards around the safe house they're imagining it in a much harsher world as as terrible as Lucille looks in this book, in Bitter, the world we live in is worse because there is no one coming to save us. It's, it's just us. And I think it's such tireless work that radical Black organizers are doing to continue fighting for a better world against what's even to me, seem like insurmountable odds. Well, and you mentioned injecting possibility into this world and those ideas. And I wanted to see what kind of, either what kind of toll it takes to write that world, especially for children, um, 
because specifically one of the, I think it's a little bit towards the middle of the book, but no spoilers. Um, you say Bitter just wanted to make her art and mind her business, but she could agree with Asada and Blessing that Theron was evil. And Theron is our, uh, our capitalistic um, overlord. Our residence, billion our residence billionaire. Our resident billionaire in Lucille um, and Blessing is Bitter's best friend. But um, there's adults um, have sort of been living with that feeling for a long time of, I just want to mind my business and do my things and not have to deal with this. I agree that it's bad and that we shouldn't have to participate in it or deal with it. But having to put that that sort of disillusionment on into the minds of children, which they already feel it. They have, they, they see it. Um, and pet was very much about acknowledging that they do see it and not, and not gaslighting them into thinking that nothing is wrong. Um, but it does it take a toll on you to have to inject that hopelessness into them while situating them in this world of possibility as well? I don't see it as injecting hopelessness into them because I think it's like with bitter, it's, uh, it's a reflection of what a lot of young people I think feel, mainly because young people are not exempt from trauma just based on, on their age. You know, they don't get to opt out of it until adulthood and and, you know, you're looking at Bitter's background where, you know, she's a foster kid. She's been raised by these kind of abusive adults who are, you know, really verbally abusive towards her and who really try to make her feel like she's worth nothing. And she's tried to, she tried to run away from them. Um, she's tried so hard to find a safe place and she's only 17. And at that point, you know, she's found eucalyptus and she's like, I'm done, you know? I don't want to go into unsafe places anymore. And I think that's, I don't think that's injecting hopelessness. I think that's recognizing the fact that a lot of young people are dealing with a lot of trauma um, right up until, you know, Bitter's age and, and then they're still having to reach like, you know, this, this threshold of you're an adult now and now the world's problems are yours too. And, um, and especially, I think also the thing that some adults do of, well, you know, the young people will save us. Like, you know, this generation is going to be the one that's going to, like, we don't have to do anything because the one's coming up after us. And it's a lot of pressure. I think, and to have survived a traumatic childhood and gotten to a place where, you know, she's discovered safety and then to face this possibility of where well, you're going to be kind of ejected out into this world. And, and that's part of being adult, right? Of being an adult is you're on your own go out into this world and this is like I've been on my own 
I don't want to do it anymore. So yeah, I think it's just a, a reflection of things. And I think it's important in literature for young people that we recognize that, you know, <laughs> there's my pet. Cat. <laughs> <laughs> I think in literature for young people, it's important that we recognize that, you know, so many kids are not having little idyllic childhoods behind white picket fences where all the things in these books are, you know, so other and so different. Like, most, like, honestly, for me, I get really surprised when I hear of people who had, like, safe childhoods. <laughs> I'm just like, I literally cannot relate. <laughs> Yeah. I have no idea <laughs> like, what that's don't, like. I don't get it. <laughs> like I don't I don't get it. Um and and yeah, and I think that it's I think it's irresponsible. And this is not about bitter, this is just about like young people's literature in general. I think it's irresponsible when we try to protect young people mm -hmm. from really harsh things that are happening to characters in literature for young people. Um, because what it says is that if you've had like this, these really you know, traumatic childhoods, then you don't deserve literature for that. you. Like the only people who deserve literature for them <laughs> are people who, you know, who need to be protected from this harsh life. And like, we shouldn't expose them to it. We shouldn't make them uncomfortable by looking at it. And I'm like, well, what about all the kids who lived it? Yeah. Like, what about them? Well, and, and to that point, one of the most, one of my favorite parts of the book, one of the most beautiful scenes was when Bitter is first uh, spending some time with Aloe and she is, shutting down when something is wrong, um, which has just been her way. It's what she's decided was the best way for her to protect herself. And Aloe says, no, tell me what you're feeling. Tell me what's wrong. Let's talk about it. You can tell me. Um, and I think it's like the end of a chapter and it just ends with like, and like, so she did, she sat down and she told him and it is, I mean, as adults, we, we continue to learn that, but I think especially now with all these things that that pressure that you mentioned kids are facing to, to carry the weight of the world on their shoulders and be the ones to save us, they need community more than ever. And it's so important that they have that and they have these beautiful, intimate friendships with each other where they are able to talk about what is wrong and what they're feeling and not be shut down by adults, especially, and told that their concerns don't matter. Um, so I wanted to just see if you could tell us a little bit about some of your favorite friendships in the book or uh, how you constructed them and like building those relationships between all of them with um, even people who don't quite get along. So you have Alex who is a was a part of Asada and then went to eucalyptus and how they kind of decide to join the same side or understand that they are all ultimately after the same goal. 
Um, oh, I have so many favorites because they're all my babies and I love yes. them so much. <laughs> um, I, I love the relationship between Bitte and Eddie because um, Bitte is essentially a fuckboy. Like, <laughs> she is! <laughs> like, you know, she's, she's not like the victim in this. Like, no, she's an no. asshole. <laughs> yeah, and <laughs> I was like, what, what happened there? And Bitter's like, I, nothing, I don't know. And Eddie's like, when, you, like, when you're done talking to trash, you can come back and see me. <laughs> And, you know, and Eddie's justified in it because Bitta treated her, like, terribly, like, um, <laughs> and, and I really love that, you know, she's, like, you know, she's forced to kind of confront that. I think it was also really nice for me to be able to write Bitta and Aloe's, like, the start of their relationship, um, particularly because... I had, a re- I had written them as adults first mm-hmm. and then I had to kind of work backwards and be like, huh, so who would Aloe have been as a teenager that would have led to who he is as a father in, in Pet? Um, and then one of my favorites is a relatively minor character, but she's like a little Easter egg breadcrumb situation. So Eddie's girlfriend, Malachite, who mm-hmm. is never actually like seen um, like on screen on the page, but Eddie talks about her a lot and you know talks about how Malachite is kind of helping her access a more like wholesome way of living. Like, you know, she likes to bake bread. She takes Eddie out, I think, to this farm. Um, and, and the thing I love about it is that Malachite is one of Redemption's parents in Pets. And I did not in. catch that. Oh my gosh. Okay. Well, I know what I'm doing after after we <laughs> hang up here. Okay. I hope that doesn't count <laughs> as a spoiler because it's like a no. little character. I feel like it's a little cheat. Um, it is yeah, a treat. Malachite, oh my gosh. Malachite is Redemption's mom. And and obviously, you know, she's not with Eddie at that point anymore because she's she's an adult. But the first time we see her is in is when Redemption brings Jam into like they visit the family house, um, mm-hmm. and everyone's like the whole family's in the kitchen, and Malachite is baking bread because she still bakes. <laughs> oh, my heart. <laughs> I mean, I really, really be- loved being able to write um, the younger versions of some of these characters, um, especially Ube. Like, mm-hmm. I really, really, like, he's he's one of my favorites. And I love that, you know, you see him in Bitter as this um, leader who's, you know, like an unofficial leader because they're like, Asaka doesn't have action, doesn't actually have leaders. Um, and then you, you get to compare like their young versions to the grown-up versions in Pet, and then you see, you know, how I just I just love the fact that you know he was at the front line of all of this, and then he ended up being a librarian. In, mm-hmm. I can't pronounce that word, librarian. It's got a lot of R's yeah. in it. <laughs> yeah, too many R's. <laughs> <laughs> but he ends up being like you know this librarian in in Pet, who is really supportive of Jam 
and and I think also there was this there's this kind of like ships passing in the night quality to it where mm. if Jam had actually told adult Ube in pet about what was going on he would have known exactly what she was talking yes. about and then you get to see what happens when when like people don't tell the kids that the real history like they don't tell them the truth because then Jam had to go through this whole thing with pets by herself um, I mean like with redemption but without the support of the adult community because her parents have shut down about it and she just simply doesn't know that there are all these other adults who know what bitter can do and know that creatures can come out of art and know how to deal with them so um, I think for me that was like a thing you get to see about how it actually burdens like the kids more it burdens Jam more because she just doesn't know what resources she has in like the community around her. And you you mentioned that they are passing like ships in the night sort of, and I love that these books coexist with each other in a way, but you, you could read them in whichever order. Uh, so I wanted to ask of you if there was intention about that when you decided, you said, you know, I'm going to make a trilogy and then they're going to be movies because that's the way that it works out. And it's very simple and a formula that's tested and true. Um, but they do coexist in this way where you could read about Bitter and then see how her life progressed, or you could read about Jam and then see kind of where she came from. Uh, so did you do that? intentionally and do you plan to sort of continue to build this world like you said you really love Malachite could we like maybe see an expansion of Malachite or any of these other characters that you I mean you could write about Lucille forever I'm sure because it's your baby and you built it and there is so much to explore there well I think with writing a sequel that's not a sequel that's actually a prequel um, I'm not good at writing in a linear form. And I think Pets was the first book where, you know, in the book, everything actually happens in a straight line. Like mm -hmm. everything happens in sequential, like chronological order. That doesn't happen in most of my books. Um, and so once I wrote Bitter, I was like, oh, I see. You just put the non-linearity in the series, not in the actual books. Um, yeah. And it just kind of made sense in my head that way. I, I don't think I'm going to write a third book, actually, because at first I thought the same thing you did, which is like, I can, you know, write Lucy with forever. And then I had to write Bitter. And it was weird because I really, really, really did not want to. It was mm -hmm. really hard to write Bitter. And part of it is because I wrote Bitter in the summer of 2020. And it was really hard to write about like young black organizers and activists on the front line when everything that was happening in real time as well. Mm -hmm. And also my health was really, really bad. Um, I became disabled a few years ago and my illness progressed to a point where I could no longer type. I could no longer write. Um, 
it just and for me I've been writing since I was five so to physically lose the ability to write either by hand or to type was pretty devastating especially yeah. because I was on deadline <laughs> um, yeah. and and so I had one of my friends Catherine Ajima Agard who's also another writer she like my community pitched in so she would like be on zoom with me and we would go through you know like the copy editing notes for better and she would type for me like she literally became my hand because I couldn't use mine and and the one thing I was really relieved about is that you know when I read back the book I was like oh okay this is a good book because it felt like shit writing it and yeah. I was just really grateful that like I had practiced my craft to the point where I could still do justice to the work. You know, like I would have felt so much worse if I wasn't okay and then I wrote the book and then the book sucked because I wasn't okay. Like that would yeah. have just made everything a thousand times worse. So it was a real relief to be able to write it despite all the difficulties despite how hard it was. Um, and then to be able to look at it and say, you know what, I, I told Bitter's story well, um, and I'm happy with the quality of this. And, but I think because it was so difficult to write Bitter and I was going through so much trauma at the same time, um, it kind of tied up the Lucille series for me. It was like, I don't think I can write another book I don't think I can step back into this world because mm -hmm. it was just, it was just really difficult. And then Pet was written for young and all black trans girls and women who you wanted to have a, a mirror and somewhere for them to see themselves where they were powerful and uh, smart and strong and had a, a could envision a world where they had agency um, and could make these choices. And so I wanted to, and you've, you've mentioned that a lot. So I wanted to see who you felt you were writing bitter for. And we've talked a lot about the, the young black organizers as well. I think it might be them a little bit, but if you could talk about that and who you wanted bitter yeah. to be for, especially writing it you say while you were while you were struggling so much to write it yeah um I think definitely you know for the organizers the book is dedicated to um Toy and Salo because I can't I don't know if I'm pronouncing her last name correctly who was as most people know you know a 19 year old uh black organizer and activist who was um, killed I think while I was writing Bitter actually hold on let me check the, the dates because that was part of what made writing it you know really difficult mm -hmm. uh, I would have to use my phone the dates aren't in this dedication but I'm fairly sure it was that summer like June 2020 and that she that she was killed and and that was really hard because, you know, she was missing for a while. Um, she was Nigerian. It just, it hits, it hit like my community specifically, like 
mm-hmm. quite hard where and I was like I can't believe I have to write about kids like this you know um but I wanted to like I said I wanted to do the story justice and um, and have it be kind of an homage to like all these young people who are working so hard for a world to fix a world they didn't break um and and then I also wanted to, you know, write it for Black queer kids. You know, I, lo- I love the fact that both Bitter and Aloe are queer. Um, everyone's queer, quite honestly. I think everyone in this book is queer. <laughs> <laughs> and I was just like, yeah, you know, because yeah. I, get, I get really bored by this idea of um, us being like other to some like cishet center. And I'm like, no, no, in this world, like this is our normal, you know? You you have these queer kids, you have, you know, Bitta's best friend who's a queer hijabi and, and, you know, they're artists, they're trying to figure out all this stuff. And most importantly, they have each other. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was, I think, something that was, that was really special is to be able to write community, um, both in Eucalyptus and Asata, and then show them kind of figuring out how to relate to each other and how to be in community across their like various communities as well. And then we mentioned a little bit the sort of importance of art and making art and showing kids being able to uh, to create and people encouraging them to do that. Do you have any uh, advice for young people who want to make things or are trying to make things and maybe feel like they don't have the space for it or no one has really given them the opportunity to do so? I'm terrible at giving advice. Um, mostly because I I think that sometimes it feels like it. I don't actually think that I'm in an authoritative position to give advice because everyone, including young people, are dealing with a very very specific set of circumstances, mm-hmm. and I don't think that blanket advice works for that because you know it's it's easy and it's path to say well you know create with what you can and create with whatever's around you and you know and just keep making but that advice doesn't work for someone who you know is dealing with a lot more things than we can imagine it doesn't work for a young person who's like responsible for like a large swath of their family and just does not have the time or the bandwidth or the capacity make stuff and a lot of the obstacles that people are facing are based on like structural and institutional problems and no amount of you know little chunks of advice is going to actually change things on that level Mm -hmm. um so yeah i'm bad at advice (laughs) well my my advice to them 
for starters would be to read Pet and Bitter, to imagine, (laughs) to be able to imagine this world and to see it. And I'm so excited to get Bitter into the hands of our customers here at Skylight uh, and to just put it everywhere. Oh, and also before I forget, I was hoping you could tell us a little bit about um, the beautiful cover art for both um, by Shauna Golden, I think. Shyama. Shyama Golden, um, because they are beautiful, beautiful portraits. And I did want you to just tell us a little bit about how they came about. Sure. Um, So we worked on Jam first, um, obviously, and that was really cool because I think there's two covers for that. There's Mm -hmm. the cover where you see more of Lucille in the background. Yes. Um, and then there's the paperback cover mm-hmm. where you see more of a, a close-up of Jam's face. And we actually took the paperback co- the paperback design from um, Faber's publication in the UK. So for okay. the US first edition, we did like Jam full body with Lucille. And then Faber in London did the close-up of Jam's face for their first edition. And I was like, oh, that's really cool. Cause you really get to like connect, you get to see her face yeah. and you get to connect with it a little bit more. So we, we kind of stole that design and we're like, we're doing that for the paperback too. <laughs> um, and then when it was time for Bitter, I was like, I would like it to be close up um, as well. And, and I wanted them to kind of model. So I asked Shama to model um, Bitter's face a little bit on Tillian Silo, who the book is dedicated to, to kind of make it look, you know, like not not a portrait, not, not a portrait, not a reproduction, but mm-hmm. just like like they were related, like they were cousins. Um, yeah. because there is this, I think, sense of connectedness between um these young these young activists. And and the cool thing about the cover for Bitter, which I have the UK edition, not the UK galley here. The cool thing oh, and about it's the got cover, it's got the fold the gold foil on gold it too, foil. so it's shiny. Yeah. yeah, they put a lot of gold in the UK edition. <laughs> um, the cool thing about the cover is that the cover was actually designed before I had finished my edits. So I think we were like in copy editing first pass um, when I got the final cover, and so I added a scene to the book where Blessing, Bitter's best friend, who's a photographer, is making a portrait of Bitter. Mm-hmm. And, and I had her, and I wrote the cover into the book. So I have, so Blessing, you know, tells Bitter how to stand holding up a paintbrush. And Bitter's like, this is just a little bit on the nose. <laughs> and, <laughs> and Blessing has like, you know, painted this backdrop um, for, for Bitter to stand in front of. And so, you know, she takes this portrait of Bitter, which is something they've been doing since the start of their friendship, is mm-hmm. kind of, you know, sharing their arts with each other. And, and yeah, and I really liked the, this idea that, you know, to incorporate Shyama's art into the story of the book itself. And this idea that as we're looking at Bitter on the cover, we're looking at her as seen through the eyes of a best friend. Oh, I can't wait to go reread it now. <laughs> I'm going to just go, re- and I don't know which order, if I should reread Bitter and then Pet or the other way around. There are so many, you've injected possibility first. 
into the reading experience as well, which is so beautiful. Um, Akweke, thank you so much for chatting with me today about Bitter and Pet in the world of Lucille. Uh, we are so excited to have Bitter on our shelves. This will come out a little bit before uh, the book is out, but you haven't already pre-ordered your copy. You can do that at Skylight Books. Um, thank you again so much to our guest, Akweke Amezi. And not just Bitter, but they have so many things for you to look forward to this year. So we are so excited to get them all on our shelves. And thank you again for joining us. Thank you for having me. It was a pleasure.